I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. I am President Joe Biden broadcasting from the White House. (laughs) That's not true, is it? How do you know? Maybe that's my truth. How do we know what is true? That is, uh, you know, it's a question they ask in the Bible. So it's kind of been around a while. Uh, And it is a question that is more relevant today than ever, I think, uh, because it's just a little crazy out there. Well, we're going to talk about that. My guest is Dr. Jeff Myers, the president of Summit Ministries and the author of this book right here called Truth Changes Everything. And it's it certainly does. And uh, not knowing the truth can really get weird, as we are seeing uh, every day. So this will be a fun conversation. Uh, Jeff, good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you, Randy. So uh, as you uh, teach, first question here I have for you. As you teach, you know, young men and women uh, out there at Summit Ministries, uh, you know, to get to truth, to understand what is truth, how do you know the difference between the men and the women? <laughs> that, you, you've hit on the thing that is, it's the dividing issue of our time, <laughs> because I do believe there are people involved in gender identity theory, postmodern theory, who believe that if they can get little boys and girls to look at one another and say, there is no difference, Mm. then they can break down every conception of truth and create total confusion in the world in order to rebuild it in a certain way. Uh, So, you know, it's not like they're really, we are a dimorphous species. There are 6,500 differences between men and women, not just, uh, you know, private parts. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, but yeah, you've, you've hit right at the core of the issue. If, if, if no truth exists, if all we do is speak our truth, then nothing that we think we know, do we actually know? I'm guessing that this is, has, I mean, it's always been an issue, but it seems like with the kids that are coming in now, they're having to deal with it every day. And I mean, in school, in the workplace, in in the social circles, you know, this is this has become a really serious question. It actually is serious, and I'd say a third of young people today are super confused by it. Mm. Like they don't know what their gender identity is, but it's just part of an overall lack of a sense of identity. 75% of young adults today say they don't have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. So they're confused all the way around. 53% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. You know, people thought that speaking our truth would lead us toward freedom and a sense of personal autonomy and, and, and dignity, but it's actually done the opposite. It's left people totally in confusion and completely lost. Yeah. So beyond the, the gender questions, uh, how, how do you get people back to the bigger idea of, yeah, there are things that are true, but then there is truth. Uh, and there is a difference between the two. And you got to know one to be able to evaluate the other in a sense, right? Uh, you do. So in the book, Truth Changes Everything, I try to contrast two ideas. One is truth 
capital T, mm. that truth exists and we can know it, not exhaustively, not easily, but we can know it. The other view is truths. I call it truths viewpoint, small t, that no truth exists. All we can do is socially construct our own perceptions of reality. So we've now tipped, and that's why this book is, I, I, I believe this, this message is urgent right now, because we have now tipped for the first time in American history, possibly for the first time in all of Western history, the majority of people now believe that truth is up to the individual. Hmm. If we continue down that path, there is no hope for uh, the future of our civilization. All of the good things that we take for granted uh, will be lost. And it's it's uh, we all we we should have seen this coming. The great historian Will Durant said, "No nation is ever conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within." Mm -hmm. Okay, so give us an example of truth with a small t versus truth with a big t. <laughs> well, let, let me let me kind of make kind of make the case just a little bit, maybe scientifically, historically, morally. Okay. So when I say there is such a thing as truth, I'm not saying my personal perceptions are accurate. What I'm saying is that truth exists independent of my ability to perceive it. It exists even when I'm not paying attention or even when I'm deceiving myself. Because scripture tells us that evil people and imposters will become worse and deceiving themselves and other people. We can deceive ourselves, mm. scripture tells us, mm. and it's it's true. So it, we, we have to step back and ask, all right, so and I'm not just talking about my opinions here, because that's valid. If I say, I'm going to speak my opinions, of course you are, and I'm going to speak my opinions. You like chocolate ice cream, I like peanut butter ice cream. You know, there's no fact in this that that we have to try to discern of which is better. We have our we have our preferences, but when we talk about truth, we're talking about what actually is. Jesus said in John eight thirty two that if you obey my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word truth there in Greek is the word aletheia. It means reality. In other words, it's Jesus is not saying if you follow my teachings, you will know your truth or how you should feel about yourself. He's saying you will know realities, open up what actually exists. So science, if I say water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level, uh, somebody might disagree with that, but a disagreement, a good disagreement would not be, well, you know, that's just your opinion, mm -hmm. or I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> no, because we, we would dispute, maybe we would say, well, it depends on atmospheric conditions or whatever. But if there's a scientific fact at issue, if I were to say Martin Luther King was shot on April 4th, 1968, it wouldn't be appropriate for someone to say, well, maybe that's true in your culture, but in my culture, it's different. Yeah. No, it's, it is a historical fact. But here's the thing, Randy, there are also moral facts. And this is where the whole thing is starting to break down in our society. Mm -hmm. There are moral facts. Morals are not just a matter of your opinion. And I can prove it to you. Let me give you two statements. Statement A, it is always good to care for abandoned puppies. Statement B, it is always good to torture abandoned puppies. <laughs> okay. Anyone who says there is no difference between those two statements is being ignorant and should not be paid attention to. 
We know there is a difference. There is a knowable difference between those two things, between those two moral claims. And it doesn't just mean that, well, it depends on how you use the words. No, it does not. <laughs> there is a moral difference between those. And that difference is a difference of truth. So we have to start acting as if reality actually exists. And if we don't, you know, what kind of confusion are we going to be in? You remember M. Scott Pack, who wrote the book Road Less Traveled all those years ago? Yep, yep. He was kind of, he was a little bit of a weird dude, but he actually ultimately came to faith in Christ, which a lot of people don't know. But in his book, The Road Less Traveled, he said the first step toward mental health is to acknowledge reality. Hmm. As long as you're living in your fantasy world, I am a she wolf, or I'm, you know, I have feathers, or I'm a cat, I have to use a litter box, or whatever. As long as you're doing that, you're never going to become healthy. You have to, first of all, grapple with reality. Isn't that interesting that this famous psychiatrist is saying, in essence, the exact same thing that Jesus said? Yeah, well, which I think points to the, the truth that this is sort of uh, the human condition in grappling with this. Um, how, do you, how do you think we got to the point where we're at today? Because if you had told me... 30 years ago, what's going on in society would be going on in society. I, I'd have, and there were people that warned, you know, hey, this is the slippery slope. And I always thought they were a little extreme. But it's like you look back and you go, how, how do we get here? So how do how do we get here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to say two things. I think how we and I talk about this in the book, True Changes Everything a little bit. But the first one is just individual individualism, that we recognize that we are sovereign individuals and we are Americans. And so what I believe is what I believe and you can't tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we have this sense of independence. And of course, there's a good part to that and there's a bad part to that. Our founders understood that liberty isn't just the freedom to do whatever you want, it's the freedom to do what you ought. Mm. But the second, the second thing I think that happens is that we sort of just live our lives going about our everyday concerns without really looking at what's happening in the academic world that's going to lead to a seismic shift in the way we see everything. Here's an example. You probably have heard about this idea of ethnomathematics. The Oregon Department of Education put out these standards and said that if you're telling children that there is a right answer, then you're being racist and capitalist and imperialist. In math. In math, yeah. in math, yes. <laughs> so you think, you think, wow, this is weird. This all of a sudden, you know, 2022 is a stranger year than I thought. Now, just back up for a second. The re that original research was done by a guy named Melvin or Melville Herskovitz, who was a professor at Northwestern University. He said that even the facts of the physical world are interpreted through your what he called your enculturative screen. In other words, your culture is what causes you to determine that a distance is what it is or that a weight is what it is. He did that work, Randy, in 1972. That's 50 years ago. Yeah. So what it, it, I really think it's true. What is taught in the university in one generation will be believed and practiced in government and in society in the next generation. We weren't paying attention. It snuck up on us. It could kill us. And the question is, are we going to continue to just 
not think about it or are we going to engage? Well, yeah, and that is the question. And I think the question that question hits home for people because they don't know really how to engage, how to engage effectively. Uh, And, you know, we can we can curse the darkness or we can light a candle. How do we light the candle? You know, Randy, they're, they're in the book, Truth Changes Everything. I think the thing I enjoyed about writing it the most is telling the stories of everyday people, quirky people, odd people, <laughs> grumpy people sometimes, <laughs> just everyday people who they didn't set out to change the world. They didn't write on their college freshman application, I want to change the world. No, they, they, just, they just did what they did. They, they worked in science and because they believed that Jesus is the truth, they thought, I want to be the very best scientist I can be, the very best artist I can be, the very best educator I can be, the very best business person that I can be, the very best military leader or philosopher or whatever it happens to be. They, none of them went to their grave thinking, I have changed the world, but they all did because they were responding to the truth. So that's my favorite part of it is just telling the stories. And I can, I'm happy to tell as many of them as you like. Yeah. Give give us an example of one of those. Well, uh, let me get, let me give you some examples from science because I know that's a big deal for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. People say, you know, when it, when it suits their purposes, they say, follow the science when it doesn't suit their purposes, you know, they don't, they don't bring it up, but uh, science is the pursuit of failure for the sake of progress in the physical realm. That's what it is. So science scientists fail all the time. That's the whole point. If you're not failing, you're not trying. So you are, you're always trying to figure out something more about the physical world. But why would we do that? So if you go back into ancient Greece, they didn't want to do that. They didn't care about it. Aristotle made all kinds of scientific factual uh, statements, but he didn't actually observe. Like he said, men have more teeth than women. Well, why? Why do you say that? Because their mouths are bigger. (laughs) Well, did you ever count? It never occurred to Aristotle to count because the physical world is not relevant to him. He believes he's discerned some eternal principle has nothing to do with the physical world. And, and all through time, people, even the idea that the world is, is stable, that wouldn't have occurred to them. The Greeks would always debate, can you ever step in the same river twice, you know, and then things like that. Well, along comes a guy named Robert Grossetesti, who's a professor at Oxford University. I think his name is hilarious. I'm really nerdy about this. Gross is the German word for fat, and testi is the, is the German word for, is the French word for head. Are related to the French word for head. So grossetesti means fathead. So yes, there literally was a professor fathead. And he said, there's a moral law, and we know this, and we know that when we transgress it, uh, that bad things happen. There also are physical laws, apparently, because the world is designed, there is a law giver. And so if we can discern what these laws are, then we can apply them to the physical world. But God has seen fit not to reveal the nature of this law. So we have to discover it. And it brings glory to God to do the discovery. Hmm. So Nicholas Copernicus was a crazy example of this. He actually was teaching a study about, and he wanted to talk about the 
proof for the resurrection. And so we thought it'd be really good to know the exact date of Easter. So we got involved in astronomy and discovered the heliocentric solar system. <laughs> and, and, and he said in his work that doing this kind of work is something that brings glory to God. All of the early scientists thought that, except for one or two of the 52 individuals whose inventions and discoveries were most responsible for the development of modern science, only one of them, Randy, was an atheist. Hmm. Only one. Hmm. The same thing is true in the political world. I mean, you look back at the history of the United States of America, of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 51, possibly 53 of them were known to have been Christians. Hmm. Of the 204 of the founding fathers, virtually all of them, except maybe three or four, were members of a Christian denomination. Now, obviously, being a member of a Christian denomination doesn't make you a Christian, but it does kind of cause you to look back at what were they looking at? What were they paying attention to when they developed yeah. this brilliant constitution? Yeah. And what they were paying attention to is biblical principles. Donald Lutz founded the 15,000 documents that the, the founders cited from. Uh, uh, all the Bible was cited more than all of the other sources put together. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So if, if I want to speak up to my family, to my neighbors, to those who, you know, I know disagree with me, uh, because over this issue of truth, you know, what, it, what is truth? How do I, how do I do that in such a way so that they trust my motives, uh, trust, you know, uh, my knowledge? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you, at least if you can't sway people entirely, plant the seeds that will lead them towards truth? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think questions are the main way. Now, earlier I talked about scientific facts, historical facts, and moral facts. Mm -hmm. That there's a knowable difference between facts and opinions. That we, when you when we use words, we can know words are not the same thing as that to which they refer, but they are meaningful. Mm -hmm. We know that truth rises, even if I say there's no such thing as truth. I've proclaimed at least one thing to be true, <laughs> right? Right, right? So though, aside from those things, I would say just start asking questions. Mm. Questions are powerful. If I go to buy a car, if I want to just look around on a car lot, the first thing the salesperson is going to ask me is, are you interested in buying a car? Right? Because it's so obvious. And, and the question is, if you know, if they're not, then you don't want to spend a lot of time helping them right. or you want to persuade them that they ought to be interested in buying a car. Yeah. The, um, the, the question for us with our family and friends would be things like, you know, tell me more about that. You've given a viewpoint. Tell me more. If, if, if it's possible to know the truth, would you want to know it? I've actually asked people before who are really hassling me about the Bible. Well, this can't be true. That can't be true. It's anti-woman, anti-gay, pro-slavery, things like that. And I just said, before I start answering all of those questions, can I ask you a question? Sure. If I could prove to you beyond any reasonable doubt that the Bible is true, I'm not saying that I can, but if I could, would you become a Christian? Mm -hmm. And almost every time the person says, um, uh, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Well then, 
then those questions aren't really the issue, are they? Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I start. I start with questions. I, my opening question, and if if I'm especially if I'm talking about anything, politics, justice, society, truth, whatever, tell me more about that. Mm. I want to hear more about your viewpoint. I'm not threatened by it. Mm. Your professor may be threatened. Your professor may shut down the conversation. Your classmates almost certainly will because they are very threatened by the possibility that there is actual truth. Mm -hmm. But I won't. I won't shut you down. I may not agree with you, but I want to hear what you say. Then I ask further questions like, what do you mean by that when you use that term justice or whatever? Or how do you know that's true? Or how did you arrive at that conclusion? Along the way, I'm just trying to affirm, uh, hey, look, I, we have differences in this. But I think it's okay to have differences. And I'm, I appreciate your willingness to share with me in spite of the fact that you know we have differences. That really means a lot to me. Thank you for trusting me in that way. And then you also reflect on the conversation itself. Uh, the, in the communication world, they say, talk about the talk. So you're, you're saying things like, I feel a little nervous at this point in the conversation because I know I ought to have an answer to your question and I don't, I'm gonna have to go look it up and think about it a little bit more. Is that okay? Can we get back together and talk about it later? Um, or I'm afraid to say something because I don't know how you might judge me as a result. Hmm. I have a sense that, you know, there might be, I don't wanna be socially shamed. I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want to offend you, but I do want the truth to come out. Uh, is it still okay if we proceed with this conversation? You see, you have, to, you have to recognize that all of those things are on the table in addition to the topic that's being discussed. How do you, well, maybe, maybe you just answered my next question, but I think a lot of Christians get stuck with um, the fact that as believers, we view Scripture as authority. We view God as the origin of truth. But someone who does not, except either of those comes from an entirely different place. And I think we can still have conversations with these people much in the way that you're describing, but don't we at least, I mean, the number one, you know, rule of communication is know your audience. And I feel like a lot of times Christians don't necessarily know their audience or take the time to get to know their audience. Um, do you, do you deal with people differently depending on where they're coming from? Of course, yes. If someone is coming from a Christian perspective, I might appeal to Scripture. Yeah. Now, the I, I think there are two things happening here, reason and revelation. So we have reason. We have the capacity to reason our way from premises to a conclusion that we can logically arrive at that other people who are understanding the situation would also arrive at unless they are deceiving themselves. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's the idea of reason. But then the second one is revelation, that there are things about God's nature and character and about the world and how we should live and why we are the way we are and how we might find healing that are revealed in the pages of Scripture. Scripture, uh, reason and revelation are never inconsistent with one another. So you can use reason for people who don't yet accept the revelation. Mm -hmm. And you still, you can make a ton of progress on this. I'm always asking people questions like, what kind of evidence would you accept yeah. for this? Yeah. You know, I, I want to know, what are, your, what are your reasons behind the way you say it is? Um, 
I'm not just going to quote scripture verses to you as proof texts. Right. But, you know, if there is something about scripture that enlightens us on this, uh, it ought to be brought into the conversation. Don't you think? Why would we exclude that if it actually is, in fact, enlightening? Mm. So that's sort of how I approach it. And it does, it, you know, it does matter. I was on a show the other day, a secular show, and they, uh, the guy said, oh, we don't want to get all holy roller <laughs> and all of this. He said, but we do need to talk about these things because spiritual things are important. So I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, he, he recognized that there is a soulish aspect to us. Yeah. And it's fairly obvious when you think about it. I mean, we know that our substances are continuous, that you're the same Randy who's who was a little boy and is a grown man. I'm the same Jeff who was a little boy and now I'm a grown man. Um, you know, I had my appendix taken out. I'm, I'm not any less Jeff because <laughs> I'm missing my appendix, right. right? I have a continuous... A objective substance. Yeah. What is it? That's that soulishness. And so we all recognize that that's true. Yeah. By the way, even that idea came from Jesus followers who applied biblically the idea that every human being bears God's image. Can I give you an example from the abortion issue? Just because I know that's oh, that is top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so when I'm talking with someone who is a believer, I might start by saying, Every human being bears God's image. Mm -hmm. That seems that's the testimony of Scripture. Would you agree with that? Okay. Yes. Now that we might end up with a lot of different policies based on that, but we can at least agree on that. With somebody who's a non-believer, I'll start with a proposition like this. I will say, it is always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. That's my proposition. Yeah. Do you disagree? Do you agree? It is always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. So that's something that can be supported biblically, but it stands alone right. on reason. Well, if someone says no to that proposition, that really puts them on shaky ground. Very shaky ground. because it, and, and then all of a sudden, all you have to do is ask the follow-up questions. You don't have anything more to prove, right? <laughs> All you just say, why not? Why don't you believe that? That seems to be the basis of of all of law. If we can't agree on that, is there anything else that we could agree on? What would you say? It, uh, what In what instances is it okay to intentionally kill an innocent human being? And yeah. why? Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. At, th at that point, yeah, at that point, they're going to be drawing back to their own, you know, their worldview. And you'll find out very quickly who has blind faith in that situation. <laughs> yeah, yes, you will. <laughs> and anybody else listening to that conversation is all of a sudden going to, they're in instinctively, I think, going to be like, I don't, I don't want to be on that guy's side. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And, and all you've done is state your proposition. You can provide evidence, but you ask questions. That's what you do. <laughs> it's never really changed throughout all of history. I think just people are so afraid to offend others today that they're not willing to do it. Yeah. How many uh, How many kids you got up there um, currently? Because I know you you got classes coming through. How many How many you you got up there right now? Well, at Summit Ministries, the some the two week summer programs that we have for sixteen to twenty two year olds have ended for the right, year. Right. And we are now doing courses in Christian schools, homeschools, churches, okay. and a lot of other places. We have about 70,000 students who are going through our courses right now. 
but they're in their place, not in our okay. place. Okay. Okay. So my yeah. question, the, yeah, just my question was how how do they respond to this? Because it's not what they're being taught in most public schools these days, even some private schools, even some so-called Christian schools, uh, and it's not what they're getting in you know pop culture. How do they respond to this? Yeah. Uh, uh, you're, you're exactly right. You can't make the assumption that just because something has the label Christian or a classical on it, that it's somehow automatically better. Uh, we got feedback from one of our classes and a student was just all upset. He said, why are we, why are we studying this? This is, this is, this is Christian. We're not a Christian school. And it was literally called such and such Christian school. Oh my was the name of was the name of the school. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think the way we're going to approach it is is to say you understand that there is such a thing as a Christian worldview, and you understand that there are counterfeit worldviews. So everybody has a belief about why things are the way they are, how we came into existence, the creation narrative, why things are broken. Everybody believes they're broken. Uh, we just have different understandings of what it is about us that's broken. And then that therefore leads to a different understanding of how it might be fixed. So you've got to look back at all of those things and ask the question, is it a biblical worldview that's being presented here or is it something else? I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the basic. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you're making headway with the culture because we need some, we need more people like you to speak the truth into the next generation because yeah. it does feel like we're we're swimming against the tide um you know and if what yeah. they're teaching in schools is you know another generation out is i just can't even imagine it it does feel like the culture is going in the wrong direction and, and that is why i wrote truth changes everything yeah. to raise the alarm if we continue down this path of saying stop seeking the truth and just start speaking your truth we are doomed yeah. there is no recovery from that no nation has ever gotten this far in that and recovered without some major catastrophe that's just never happened in the course of history so we you know it's now or never randy yeah. but at the same time the students we influence they do get it when they come here and we we outline our propositions. We talk about reason and revelation. We give them good reason to believe that scripture is true. We have them come with their lists of all of their questions and we take them seriously. When, uh, you know, the average millennial or I'm sorry, Gen Z young adult, 4% of them have a biblical worldview. By the time they finish our summit training, 85% have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge difference. The question is, can we reach enough young people and reach them in time and adults too? Yeah. I mean, we've got, so we've got a new initiative called now we live, which folks can check out if they're interested called now we live.com. It's a free small group course that you can use in your church that brings out all of these principles and helps you see how to communicate truth in a way that will make sense even to your non-believing friends and family. Mm, yeah, that's good. I, I do. I suspect that somewhat, of the ridiculousness of that relativism, uh, it may be collapsing under its own weight. You know, when when you see people saying, "Look, that 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 guy that just you know won this girls' competition, it's a guy," you know, uh, and even through COVID, where people are like, 
okay, wow, I, I thought I could trust science and the government, but it seemed to change every 30 days, and we still don't know what all's true and what's not true. It seems like a lot of the things that we've put our faith yeah. in have shown some instability, um, and I don't mean us as Christians, I mean secular culture, shown enough instability that there's an opportunity for, for us to come in like, like you are and say, look, no, there is truth and we can know it. Yeah. I think the opportunity is huge. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the central point, if I could just say one thing about what I wanted to get across and truth changes everything, it's this truth exists. And it's not just a set of logical propositions. It's not just a series of mathematical formulas that model accurately the universe in which we live. It's a person. It's Jesus. So truth exists and it exists in the personal way that makes sense to us. And in turn, we can help it make sense to other people. Truth and relationship always go together. That is a uniquely Judeo-Christian perspective. Other religions don't hold to that. The secular views don't hold to that. And that is something we can communicate with confidence. And that's the message for the heart and the mind, mm. Randy, that's so vital right now. Yeah, and that's when you get to freedom, and that's a beautiful place to be. Dr. Jeff Myers, thank you so much. Appreciate your, your time, uh, and I would encourage people to check out the book. Uh, but good to see you again, by the way. Just good to have you. It, yeah, it's good to see you too. Appreciate <laughs> right. what you're doing. Take care, man. Be sure to check out Truth Changes Everything. Just dropped today, so this is fresh, and it'll it'll help you. It'll be a, be a nice gift for someone that maybe struggling with just how to deal with the culture today. Uh, good, good resource for you. Uh, so check that out and you can check out summit.org. Uh, if you got somebody uh, that wants to enroll in one of these classes, whether it's where you're at or maybe looking at next year, going up to Colorado and being a part of that live and in person for one of their sessions, a lot of good things. Uh, this is, this is the solid foundation that we need. So, uh, again, I appreciate Dr. Jeff Myers. Appreciate you guys hanging out, watching. Hit like, hit follow, hit share, hit subscribe, and come back. We've got more for you here on Life Today Live. I want to know what God has to say. I want to know this book. It's the only book he ever wrote. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what God's book says. This is God's word, brother. It's the food. It's finished. It's God's word.